Let's talk about all things wine with industry experts Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone coming up next on Chapters. My name's Jim Derrick and welcome to another edition of Chapters. On today's program, we're going to talk about all things wine. And in studio, I have two guests who are uniquely qualified to do that. Joining me today are the co-hosts of the Wonderful World of Wine radio program, which can be heard right here every Wednesday at 10 a.m., Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone. Welcome, Mark and Kim. Hi, Jim. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming in. Folks probably know Mark from Franklin Liquors, which is located right here in Franklin and has been here since 1978. 78, yes. My family bought the original Jimmy's Package Store, which most of us remember as Jimmy's Penny Candy. Yeah, right. And and uh, that was back when you were, what, 10? Yes, <laughs> yes. I was getting 10 cents an hour back then, too. Yeah. But uh, you have not always been in the liquor and wine business. You you spent, what, uh, 20 years or so as a mechanical engineer? Is yeah, medical. I, I was in the medical engineering. Medical um, engineering. But I always worked from grade school, high school, college, um, p- part-time with the family business. It was in your blood. Yes. And, Kim, how did you find wine and um, everything that... Uh, uh, goes along with wine. I know you've got a formal education in wine. I've got a formal education in wine. I, actually, that's how I found wine was through uh, through graduate school. Uh, there was a program at Boston University called Gastronomy, which was their food studies department. I love the title of that when I when I was doing my show prep. Yeah, <laughs> gastronomy. I yeah, had no idea there was such a such a thing. Very cool program. Yeah, uh, it was started by Jacques Pepin and Julia Child in the early '90s, and I had always been just fascinated with food as a subject. I mean, cooking it and eating it, but then also learning about it and studying it. So yeah. when I found this program, I'm like, oh, that's totally what I have to do. And I wasn't really into wine at that point. But then when I started taking classes there and did a few wine tasting classes, and I believe it was my history of wine class, and I was I was sitting there and I was learning about Burgundy and Bordeaux and all these things that I had absolutely no idea about, and I was like, wow, this is something I could really wrap my head around. Yeah. So I, uh, I took a leap of faith and I quit my job and I went and work, started working in a wine store, and that was like 16 years ago. So Not only, do, yeah, I mean, and that's... that's uh a real indicator of how much passion you have for it because that must have been a heck of a leap of faith. Yeah, it really was. Right? <laughs> like, I'm going to go to graduate school and I'm going to completely change careers and I'm going to go work a part-time job, right. retail, right. <laughs> selling wine, not really knowing that much about it. But right. it was excellent because it was a great learning experience. Your business is Vinitas Wineworks. And anybody that wants to look that up, go to Vinitas Wineworks. It's V-I-N-I-T-A-S wineworks.com on the internet. Um, and they can find you and all about your business. And before I leave that. Kim, what is Vinitas Wineworks and what do you do? I do wine education. So it's uh, classes and also events. Yep. Um, so I do classes not only that are organized by myself, um, but in a number of other locations as well. So Mark and I work very closely to do a lot of community education in this part of the state. And then um, I do wine education in other locations, such as the Boston Winery. Uh, I teach for the Boston Center for Adult Ed. Many, many kind of little places all here and there that Fantastic. people can get involved in wine. So someone like me, and I was telling you guys beforehand, I am uh, not a wine connoisseur, um, but I, I like people and I like wine. I just don't know what I'm looking at. So at times I find I'm a little intimidated. If I if I approach you, Kim, at Vinitas, how do, how do I access, how do I 
get into the club without feeling intimidated? Oh, I think the the wine club, the Franklin Wine Club that we have here in Franklin is a great way for Good people to point. get an introduction to wine mm-hmm. because it's very low key. I mean, we have it set up with big tables. So we have, you know, six or seven people at a table. You don't have to come with a big group. You meet people and the topics are constantly changing. So yeah. we have guest speakers and we have different topics. Um, it's not super, I guess, in in death. In death isn't really the right word, but, you know, we have a lot of um sort of introductory language More that we try to incorporate. Yeah, listening, right? yeah, right? absolutely. And so you collaborate on Franklin Wine, Wine Club, Mark? You yes. and Kim? Okay. We, we, with the wine club and with the school systems, we do classes together. Kim Great. was very helpful to me. I reached out to her years ago because I knew her passion of wine and running a business, and I needed to keep up with the curriculum and the material. I'm always shooting her crazy ideas, getting her feedback on it, and we use that for our education. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I I have uh, uh, met some people in Franklin that uh, use the wine club as the newcomers club. Uh, They have had tremendous experience with the wine club, um, finding something that they enjoyed with other people in common, and then friendships form out of that. It's a really, it is a good way to meet people, isn't it? Yeah, it's a meetup club. So if people are not familiar with meetup, there's all other groups like the Franklin Newcomers is a meetup club. We just partnered with a, a, a mom's club. Mm. So it's an interaction between all the clubs that get people to meet and greet. And in turn, we teach them and have them taste wine. How do people find out when uh, you are meeting? They are a free membership to join the club, mm-hmm. uh, meetup.com. Great. Um, and then every event we have, we post usually two, three weeks before. We tell you if we're hosting or we're bringing in a winery for a host so they know what the subject will be that night. And we set a limit of the seating, and they just sign up for it. Fantastic. So go to meetup.com, search Franklin Wine Club. Correct. And sign up. Uh, you'll get notified of when events are coming, and you'll get a chance to meet Mark and Kim and a lot of people like hopefully me in the future, um, that that are interested in exploring the world of wine. And a companion piece to that has to be the Wonderful World of Wine podcast. I was telling both Mark and Kim that I listen to it all the time. I listen every week. The great thing about the podcast is it's, um, you guys cover such a variety of topics. Everything from staining your teeth with red wine, which my (laughs) wife was really interested in, and Mark was mentioning methods of avoiding that, and you guys were bantering about that, to hangovers. There's a practical one to really um, interesting subjects that have to do with the various um, uh, regions and the various wines that are being produced, trends in the industry, um, health trends, uh, varietals, pairings. It's really an interesting show, and it kind of gets someone like me wanting to know more about wine, which I know is your goal. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Tell me... um, about some of the trends in the industry right now that are that are new. I know you talked recently about blue wine, which I found fascinating, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, coming, I believe, out of Spain and Italy, which um, is interesting to me. Yeah. But what are some of the, the hot trends right now in wine? Biggest thing right now, and there is a lot of seasonality in wine consumption for people, so rosé is still very, very hot. So mm-hmm. we've been talking a lot about rosé this summer. Um, wine cocktails have been really big. Really? Yeah. Is like, that, for me, that would be like, what, a sangria? Sangrias and slushies and like really? all sorts of things that you can use wine as like a, a cocktail base no kidding. for. Yeah. yeah. So there's been a lot of that. There's There's so many things that, you know, if you just go onto Facebook and look at things that people are posting about wine it's all over the place but we we try to follow the seasonality of it a little bit Mm -hmm. so for summer you know we've been talking about those topics um we 
try to pay close attention to what is going on weather-wise uh-huh. with a lot of the vintages. So, yeah. um, you know, keeping our eyes on California and on Europe and things that are going on as far as, um, you know, droughts and fires and rain and hail and how are things going to be yeah. coming in as we you go lead into me harvest. to another question that I meant to ask at the front end, but I'll ask it now. Why wine? What makes wine so fascinating? Oh, it's just the stories behind it is mm-hmm. incredible. And I think we had talked before about there's a romance behind it. Yeah. And people just have stories related to it. And it's just amazing. There's, there's never, it's a non-ending topic. Every day you see uh, news uh, stories about wine. And for us, it's great conversation. And the whole show is based on a newsletter that I read topics every day. I send that newsletter to Kim. She picks through it, what she thinks is interesting. Then we just go into the studio and we talk about them. We don't talk about them until we record. Right. So it becomes interesting. A lot of times we clash. I think Kim's wrong a lot of times. <laughs> but we have different views on wine. That's the whole thing about the wine world is everybody has different opinions and views on the subject. So not unlike sports or Correct. other hobbies, mm-hmm. we, we can ha- we can agree to disagree Correct. on which Cabernet Sauvignon might have been the best that year or what vintage of a particular wine was was particularly pleasing right Right. yeah that's the great thing because there's no there's never any wrong answers what you like is what you like what i like is what i like and kim's wrong but she likes different (laughs) things (laughs) (laughs) so so you allow kim the space to be wrong of course okay good and kim uh what's your viewpoint on that a little different i take it my yeah a little different you know i i like to come at it as it it's a a world that is so vast and people can come at it from different perspectives and I think that that's actually really good. You know, there are so many places in the world that produce wine and there are so many different flavors that can be found. Um, If you enjoy wine, I think that there's something for everybody. But you can also come at it from a level of it being very simple, Mm -hmm. of just this is an enjoyable beverage and, you know, whether you want it with food or not and you can leave it at that or you can really dive deep into the history of it, the meaning of it, um, the people who make it, the places that it comes from, the geology. You could go on and on and on and on. And so I like that it has that, yeah. you know, it can be as deep as you want it to be, or it can be just something that's an everyday approachable sort of easy thing. Sure. I want to remind everybody, you are listening to Chapters Radio. My name is Jim Derrick. I am speaking today with Kim Simone and Mark Lindsay. They both have a really great podcast called The Wonderful World of Wine. It can be heard here on Franklin Public Radio Every Wednesday at 10 a.m., you can also subscribe to the podcast at iTunes. It's Wonderful World of Wine, www. You can find me at my podcast, chaptersradio.com. So one of the things I was going to talk to you a little bit about is the culture behind wine. Can you talk a little bit about how wine is viewed in other places other than America and bring it then bring it back home? Sure. Um, you know, it all kind of depends on your culture, and a lot of it is tied to your food culture, too. So, um, you know, this is something that I'm very interested in. And in those places where wine has always been a very important part of the economy and has been the type of thing that grows really well, it is tied so much more to the cuisine yep. and it's, it's tied to the traditions. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it starts with what is what grows well here and then that sort of transforms into, well, now this thing has meaning for us. I see. So then it's tied into your traditions, it's tied into your religion, it's tied into your celebrations, all of these things. So then in places, you know, like France and Italy and Spain and Greece, um, certain other countries of the world too, we see 
wine being very, very important. And then it's no longer just um, alcohol. You know, it's something that has more meaning. Mm -hmm. Whereas over here in America, you know, we're a little bit more loosey goosey with those kind of things and have Mm -hmm. different, you know, social understandings of alcohol. People have different impressions of, you know, what it what it does to you. We're a little more serious about it. Mm -hmm. So it it really does depend on, I think, the background. It's great conversation, Jim. Like you said, there's health benefits out there. But there's also the other side with just this week, they said it's not good for you. It's all right, not good for you. So in the wine world, you can find good things about any aspect of wine. You can find bad things, just like wine reviews. You can find great reviews. You can find bad reviews, but you have to explore it yourself and, and make your own opinions on it. Yeah, you sure do. I mean, I, you know, I was listening to one of your programs and Mark, one of you correctly said, you know, that the, the the, the day and age of going out for a cocktail at lunch or having alcohol at lunch, it's not really socially accepted anymore mm-hmm. here. Uh, and, it, and it made me think a little bit about that. Um, you know, I, I know that the uh, two martini lunches that I used to have back at the beginning of my insurance career, well, first of all, if you're in the insurance business, you probably want a couple of martinis during the day. <laughs> but truthfully, um, it's, it's just not something that's, that's acceptable. So it does go back to the, to the cultural uh, view on, on alcohol use. Well, in Italy, it's considered a beverage. They don't even consider it alcohol. It's just they drink it all day long, so they know how to moderate it. They know how to control their intake, and it's yeah. a very big part of their meals. What are the trends in the industry, Mark, uh, right now for um, you know the coming years? What is our Generation Z, uh, these kids that are coming out of uh, just aging into the to being able to drink legally, what are their views on wine? Are you seeing consumption trends going up, oh, down, yeah. flat? We, we follow these trends a lot, and, and a lot of our topics have been based on this. And actually, the biggest probably trend to liquor itself is that more of the younger generation are going to uh, weed instead of alcohol. Really? So the alcohol industry is really concerned that they're losing that whole segment the thinking is it's safer because you can't get uh, drunk driving. Right, I guess. Uh, it's cheaper. Yeah. Uh, so that is hitting them hard. And just this week, there was a topic about some of the bigger companies are investing in cannabis industry no to kidding. offset that loss. So that's a big trend right now. I would say every week we see one or two articles hit our our news line about marijuana and wine and yeah. beer and how it's all affecting each other. It's interesting to me that marijuana would even be considered as a competitor, especially when you're talking about savoring the nuances of the flavors and the nose and everything else that goes into but wine people, tasting. But there are people who are marijuana connoisseurs who do the exact same thing. That was going to be my yeah. question. Yep. No kidding. Mm-hmm. Uh, from a flavor standpoint, from a aromas, flavors. Aromas? Mm-hmm. They're actually having food pairings where they're pairing cannabis with the food, just like they would do wine. Cheetos. It's easy. <laughs> yeah, they're following the whole trend of the wine. Apparently, there are very subtle nuances to the different aromas to the different types. So, so, so this is a real threat. And and now we've got marijuana retail locations. We'll start opening here if they haven't already. They'll start opening shortly. Is that a real threat? Oh, yeah. Anything that takes away, especially for the big corporation, anything that takes away a small percentage of their business and mm-hmm. wine sales, they, mm-hmm. they will look at and find out how to offset that. Interesting. Mark, I have to ask you this question, and Kim, yourself as well. What is the best bottle of wine? What is the best wine you've ever tasted? That's always a trick question you get this for us question all the time. <laughs> you know, and I say the same story all the time. Kim's heard it a million times, but uh, very early on in wine education, there was a room filled with people mostly salespeople, and the gentleman running the class said, you know, we had a wine. He said, how many people love this wine? 50% of the room raised their hand. He said, how many people absolutely hate it? 
50% of the room raised their hand. So he said, I'll tell you right now, if you want to sell wine, if you want to be involved in the wine world, you don't hate any wine. It's just not your style. So right. if you tell me you like a wine, I might say it's not my style, but I can tell you about it because I've, I've tried it. So no one's ever wrong. What you like is your palate. Sure. So that's the whole reason we did the club and tastings. The more you taste, the more you can find out what style you like, mm-hmm. and you can tell us what you like so we can help you be a better shopper. Mm-hmm. Kim, do you have a favorite? I couldn't crack Mark. I uh, have favorite styles. I don't have a favorite okay. bottle. There's not a bottle sitting in your basement somewhere tucked away that you that has a there's a big has you have to crack the glass to get into it no no see and that's interesting because kim doesn't sell wine Mm -hmm. whereas i sell wine so she's she's neutral and she could recommend a wine to you say jim i love this wine but she still takes that point which i find fascinating i have a lot of wines that i recommend but i you know mark and i are actually kind of on the same page when it comes to trying to recommend things to people that they are going to enjoy at the end of the day it's not about what we like it's about helping people figure out what they like. And that's another thing I like about your program. You talk about screw tops. You talk about the, the whole range of wines out there, not just the, the high end, what I would consider to be unapproachable for me. For me, I'm not going to spend more than 20 or $30 on, on a wine. Sorry to my friends that get my <laughs> presents and Christmas and stuff. I'm just not um, because, especially for my own consumption, I'd only do it for a friend that could appreciate, if that makes sense, the, the nuances behind it. But listening to you guys, price is not a huge factor, right, when it comes to to wine, or is it? Well, it depends. We always have this conversation about quality. I mean, there is a big difference between a $5 bottle or a $10 and a $20 bottle. It's it's what's in the bottle, and that's whole our whole education is based on that. We tell you what is in there. Like when you go to buy food, Jim, do you look at the labels, what's in that food? Well, for health purposes sometimes, but yeah. Well, when you buy a bottle of wine, are you looking for an ingredient? Right. It doesn't tell you. So mm. we, in turn, tell people this is how you can find out what's in that bottle uh, to get more of your money's worth. Is it a million-dollar production? I mean, a million-case production? Is it a thousand-case production? Mm. How can you compare that? And that, in some way, will lead to quality. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we try to put that in feedback we get from from our classes and events we use for material all the time because we're always learning Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and price can be tricky too because there are different styles of wine that might be a whole lot more expensive and are quote-unquote better wines but they might be of a style that are a little bit harder for beginners to really understand Mm. Um, you know there are some things that just to you as someone who doesn't have a whole lot of experience with wine might not taste so great, but Mm -hmm. they, you know, get really high scores from critics and, you know, are technically wonderfully, perfectly made, but it might not be something that you appreciate or even like. So I think that's why we try to concentrate a little bit more on kind of the lower end of the expense side. I mean, most of the wines, I know certainly most of the wines that I use in my classes, I'll kind of max out at 25 or $30. Um, Anything over and above that, I feel like might be harder to get, Mm -hmm. um, a little bit harder to appreciate. Mm -hmm. And, you know, what's what's the point if you're trying to get people to understand that these are, you know, this is how you can talk about a wine. Mm -hmm. This is how we really want to help you appreciate it. Yeah. I want to remind everybody, you're listening to Chapters Radio. Uh, That was Kim Simone, the owner of Vinitas Wine Works. And uh, Mark Lindsay's also with us uh, from Franklin Liquors. They 
have a podcast called Wonderful World of Wine that can be heard every Wednesday here on WFPR at 10 a.m. Uh, you can also subscribe to their podcast at iTunes under The Wonderful World of Wine. My name's Jim Derrick. This is Chapters Radio. You can find me at my podcast, ChaptersRadio.com. I do want to ask you this while we're drilling down into some of the, some of the, uh, this is like taking my cool factor way up because I'm starting to talk about the nitty gritties of wine tasting. What are the mechanics of tasting a wine? So what I mean by that is I'm, I walk into the Franklin Wine Club and I'm going to have a new experience and be taught how to taste a wine. Take me through that. Do I brush my teeth just before I walk in? I oh, heard that was a, a, That's an excellent question. I heard that one. Yeah. <laughs> Don't brush your teeth Don't right your before teeth. you is, taste wine. How do I prepare? How do I come in? What are the mechanics? Don't do wear a lot of perfume or aftershave. Okay. Be neutrally smelling. Yeah. All right. Neutrally smelling? <laughs> yes. Really? Yeah. Don't come in covered in perfume. You're going to ruin it for everybody else. Okay. Okay. <laughs> well, a big part of it is a lot of people like yourself, they might not know when they come in what to expect. Yep. So we're hoping by observing, they over time will get the nuances of it. But there is a standard tasting procedure. You know, we can get very geeky and go into it. But over time, I feel people, when they come, they are hearing from us or from the guest speakers, you know, how to do it. They're seeing how they're doing mm-hmm. it. So they learn it that way. But there is a, a st- standard method of tasting, what you're seeing, what you're smelling, what you're tasting. Uh, it can get geeky. Yeah, I mean, but and I think you know some of the things you hear fruit forward. You hear I uh, pick up dark cherry, or you hear all of mm-hmm. these things. And you know, I've sat with people before and and talked about that. And my gosh, you know what? I can pick it up, but I've got to be prompted sometimes. Yeah, and sometimes you have to be in the right mindset. Right. So it's different than drinking wine. Uh-huh. You know, if you're sitting there as part of a tasting you're going to be engaging your brain a whole lot more than mm-hmm. if you are sitting at the dinner table and you're having a glass of wine. Mm-hmm. So there are steps in place for doing a wine tasting that really involve all your senses and your mind as well. And the how much of your, my tasting uh, it, do I derive from smell? Most of it. Most of it. Most okay. Of it. That's so because I heard I picked up on what you said about perfumes and smells and all mm-hmm. that. So most of it is coming through. Right. So you have the aromas and the flavors, but then you've also got different textures of the wine when you actually get to the point where you put it in your mouth. Mm-hmm. So we um, you know, we usually invite people to look at the color sure. of the wine sure. because that can tell you a little bit about, about it. But then the first real big step is to just pick up that glass and stick your nose in there and give it a good sniff. And we were talking about toothpaste. I did notice that toothpaste can kill your palate for a long time, right, during yep. the day. Mm-hmm. I mean, yep. it can really – so you don't want to – get all fresh and bright and everything just before you go to the wine club. That was uh, one of the stories we did where it said uh, yeah. brush your teeth before and after for the acids on your teeth. But then we're always told when you taste, you don't want to brush your teeth. So right. it was kind of opposite advice. So we talk about that a lot. Yeah, yeah. I heard that show. Um, I went into the, is it the the Boston? There was a wine show in Boston at the trade. Probably the Expo. Expo. Wine yeah. Expo. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Fascinating to me the ability of some of the people that I saw tasting in there to, um, they, of course, they're not drinking. They're doing a lot of spitting, <laughs> but I guess that's what you do. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. you got to do. Yeah, yeah. If you're tasting 100 wines in one day, you're, and, and yeah. And be, being the newcomer, <laughs> I was the guy that had to get an Uber home because uh-huh. I didn't observe the uh, protocol. But um, I, my palate was spent after two or three tastings, if you yeah. will. But, but these people were going through. How do you, when you're at an industry event, I heard you talking, I think, recently about going, you're tasting wine at, at, a, at a vineyard or a or through a distributor or whatever, how do you keep your palate fresh? 
You learn over time. First, you, you, we talked earlier about the health thing. My doctor always, one of the things you go to your doctor, they'll say, do you drink? I say, I don't drink, but I taste about a thousand wines a week, you know. So it, you have to know that this is alcohol. And, and, it, and Kim and I are in the business. We appreciate and respect what's going on here. A lot of people, when they go to those expos, they're just putting their hand out, getting a cup poured, and they're just drinking it to drink. They're not really understanding what they're even getting right you know they don't understand the story or even want to know what it is they just want to drink it right. when in the tasting you're actually observing and learning what to go through and how to pick up certain things and by spitting out you're still getting a taste yeah so you're still consuming alcohol even if you spit it so over time you learn how to do that yeah. And different people have different methods of going through, you know, if you're going to be at a tasting for three hours, how do you pace yourself? How do you keep your palate fresh? Um, the best ones always have plenty of food for people to eat because mm -hmm. as long as you've got food in your stomach and you stay hydrated, you're going to be in much better shape. Um, I, When I do them, I try to space out what I'm tasting so that maybe I'll start with lighter wines and maybe I'll do some champagnes in the middle so that they'll kind of refresh my palate and mm -hmm. do the reds oh, at the end. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, sometimes it's a matter of scoping out what you want to do for the whole day mm -hmm. and then pacing yourself and then figuring out, all right, where am I going to put the breaks? Where am I going to be able to refresh myself for a little while, mm -hmm. take, you know, take some time out and work it that way. You know, another thing that you point out on your on your podcast, again, it's The Wonderful World of Wine. Um, and I urge people to subscribe to it and listen to it. I picked this up today. Uh, you were talking about um, on one of your podcasts about uh, buying wine by the glass in a restaurant, which is something I do all the time, okay? If I'm going to have a wine, uh, that that's what I'm doing. I'm not going to go for the bottle. And I think it was Mark that said, well, I shy away from buying by the glass because you're not sure when it's open. Mm -hmm. And then asking the question, when was this opened? Um, because wine after a period of time doesn't keep well, right? Um, what is the maximum period of time a restaurateur, I ought to accept that, nine twelve fourteen dollar glass of wine from somebody they say it's been open for two days do i still take it sometimes it depends on the wine um if it were something and or how they preserve it so different restaurants will have different ways of preserving their wines to get the most out of that bottle because mm -hmm. you know they want you mm -hmm. the consumer to mm -hmm. drink every last glass out of that bottle because right. then they're going to make the, the most amount of money off mm -hmm. of that if they have a preservation system in the restaurant that is going to be sure that when that bottle is opened on wednesday it's still going to taste good on thursday then you can be fairly certain that you know what you're getting is good quality mm -hmm. if they just stick a cork in it and stick it behind the bar Chances are it's not going to taste as good the next day. Yeah. So, you know, bigger reds usually will last a little bit longer, but we have all these, you know, little tips that we give people but you about know, how to me, make their wines last longer. Because as a consumer, if I've got, I'm going to go down to Washington, D.C. this weekend. My son's getting married and, uh, you know, we're going to mark the occasion. They love wine. We'll mark the occasion with wine that I don't know what I'm looking at. Mm -hmm. And I'm the host of the dinner. There's a good tip for me because even if we buy by the glass, there's going to be 10 people there for dinner. That's a hundred dollar purchase right there. So it's good for me to know um, to ask these types of questions. And the same goes with, you know, what do I do about the cork? Do I sniff the cork? Do I take a big old snort out of the cork? Do I <laughs> smell the glass? How do I tell when I get a bottle delivered to the table that I've got a quality bottle of wine in front of me? There's a whole presentation that the server will do to you. You order the bottle, they'll come and they'll present you the, the bottle and show you the label to make sure that's what you ordered. 
they should also uncork it in front of you and present you the cork. Right. So a lot of people say don't smell it. Right. But you should look at it because the cork tends to have the name of the winery on it. You want to make sure that matches up to the label. Interesting. In case it was repackaged. And yeah. you can sniff it to see if it's faulty in some way if you want. But mm-hmm. there's, there's a whole procedure. And if you don't know or are looking for a suggestion, just ask if there's a sommelier or a wine expert there. And you have a group of 10. It's a wedding. And yeah. you, you're looking to you know make an impression. You don't want to buy anything inexpensive. Right. Uh, they'll right. recommend. Right. Right. If you don't like it, send it back. Send it back. So, again... Don't be bashful to ask questions, is what you're saying. Right. Correct. That's what they're there for. That's that what is they're there their, for. their job. Right. They should be very willing and able to give you whatever wine help you need. From a social standpoint, it's not embarrassing to simply ask these questions. Uh, it's not embarrassing to sn- to take a, a sniff of the, of the cork <laughs> and ex- examine the cork. You're not doing anything untoward. Yep. What about rejecting the wine? When do I know to reject it and how do I do that? So you can reject a bottle if it is technically bad. But then it's figuring out, all right, what does that mean? What is a technically bad bottle? So if they they pop that cork and they give you a little sample taste in that glass and you smell it and it smells like wet cardboard. Yeah, or a wet dog. It smells like wet dog or, yeah, kind of a musty, moldy kind of. Yeah, that is is technically a bad bottle. You do not accept that bottle. You say, nope, it's corked. So a good restaurant, if you even if you say, Jim, at this, you know, I thought this was going to be more fruit forward. I don't think it's going to go with the food we're having. They they should accept that. A good quality restaurant will accept that mm-hmm. that it's not what you like to pay with your food, or you you're not happy with it. Then they'll rec- they should recommend something else. To me, this is really great stuff. I'm 58 years old. I wish I had the answers to these 25 <laughs> years ago. Because how many times have I sat in a restaurant? The guy shows me the bottle, and I'm you have I'm no idea, like, why saying, are you doing this? Do you guys this? Yeah. know why he's doing this? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they don't do that with my bourbon. They don't do that with, with other beverages that I order. And it's a significant investment, you know. Um, I want to remind everybody, you're listening to Chapters Radio. My name's Jim Derrick. In studio today, I have Kim Simone from Vinitas Wine Works and Mark Lindsay of Franklin Liquors. They have a terrific podcast. Please check it out. It's called The Wonderful World of Wine. It can be heard here every Wednesday at 10 a.m. You can also pick it up on iTunes iTunes. Um, Mark, tell us a little bit about yourself. And uh, I know you've been in Franklin. So you were born in Franklin. Born, raised. And, and your family has how many here. generations here? We've been, in, well, my family's been here for since the 50s. 50s. Um, so I can officially say I have a townie in yeah, the house. Yeah. There's few of us left, Jim. Yeah. You know, <laughs> to remember old buildings or old businesses, you're a true townie. Yeah, true townie. Yeah. It's so, so much of a townie that they even refer on their on their uh, website, Franklin FranklinLiquors.com, that the old the old uh, store was located uptown. You kind of got to know when you're reading that what you mean by uptown. Yeah. Well, if you look at the Rome restaurant, if you come out the front door of the Rome restaurant and just look across the street where the bridge is, there's an empty lot. Yep. It's very small. That used to be a double storefront. And when I was a kid, I'd go to Davis there. Yeah. And I'd walk from Davis there to the Penny Candy store. Yeah. And I never knew that there was a liquor store attached to it or tobacco in that Penny Candy store. No kidding. Uh, but I think now we all notice the booze and not the candy, right? <laughs> so it's like... But it was very famous in town, very historic. If you go to the historic museum, soldiers, when they went to and from war, they took the train, they had their picture taken right in front of that store. No kidding. But there's never any inside history of the store, so... And what was the name of the store then? Jimmy's Package Store. Jimmy's. And Jimmy's Penny Candy. It was a soda fountain, one of the 
like few soda fountains that was in town yep. and it was there till the day we bought it and unfortunately we took the soda fountain and the penny candy and just made it all alcohol sure yeah well i don't think i think you're selling more uh, beer and and wine now than you probably would be soda and uh and penny candy yeah. now you have children mark yeah, I had a daughter and a son. One in college? My, my son's a senior in college, and my daughter's graduated. She's uh, 25, so yeah. she's long. Um, what place does wine occupy in your house? I mean, is this something you bring home with you? Is your wife a connoisseur as well? Do you, do yeah, you enjoy well, doing this it's, together? It's interesting because I joke a lot with Kim. My, my, I'm a geek, uh, and I, I taste so much at work and for work that yep. I... I generally have very little wine at home mm-hmm. maybe occasional meal uh my wife likes certain things and it's interesting because we did one time go to a restaurant and i had a friend who was the manager and comped us a bottle of very nice chardonnay my wife is a chardonnay drinker uh the wine came she was drinking it. i happened to take a taste of it and it was bad it was really it was corked but uh-huh. i and i said to my wife i said you know this, this bottle is off but i do not want to say anything <laughs> because he graciously gave it to us sure so then she freaked out because she thought she was drinking you know bad wine right. I, I was giving her, her bad wine yeah, yeah. so get salmonella. yeah so <laughs> i mean i think a lot of times she puts up with my geekiness but yeah. it's part of my business you know I, sure. I kim and i both spend a lot of time always studying and we've taken numerous tests so it takes time away from the family and, and she put up with that yeah yeah kim what about you your family uh you live in norfolk I live in norfolk um my husband to elementary age kids. Fantastic. Yeah. So you got your hands full. Got to my say hands the full. Least. Yeah. Is your, hus- well, is your husband a, a wine connoisseur? Uh, I don't know if I would call him a connoisseur, but he's he's right along with me for this crazy ride. So, Great. So yeah. he enjoys it. He does. We have we have different tastes in wine. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's interesting because there are some things that I love that he does not. Yeah. So that whole bottle is mine. I get that. When I have it at home. This is for my wife, this question. She asked me to ask this today. She, uh, we had a terrible experience where uh, we found out that she has some sort of an, I'm going to call it an allergic reaction to white wine, and in particular champagne, but white wine in general. Have you heard of this before, and do you know what it can be ascribed to? Is it an allergy? Is it just, she can drink reds all day long, but she cannot drink white. Different people can have different reactions to things. Um, Science is still trying to figure out why certain people have certain reactions to different right. kinds of beverages. Okay. So when you say champagne, yep. do you mean anything with bubbles or do you mean champagne from the champagne region of France? Just champagne. Champagne, champagne. Ch- champagne, champagne. Wait a minute, Jim. Are you buying the good stuff for your wife? No. Hell All right, no. so you're this not is, having this champagne. Is, this is a $6 bottle. <laughs> okay, so then that's not okay. champagne, champagne. Okay. All right. So anything no, with bubbles in it. Honestly, I don't. I, I remember when it happened. We were at her. Was it only once? Uh, or is it all the time? Well, she tries to limit her exposure now, but no, it's it's a it's a it's an overall allergy. She cannot have white wine, and uh, we were at a at a big function for the military uh, brass of Canada. Her her cousin is um, uh, a colonel, and um, so it probably was a good bottle of champagne mm-hmm. to be honest. And and uh, she was just violently ill within within ten sips. Wow! You know, within within a glass of champagne, she was out. So when good champagne is made, it's a multi-step process. And part of that process involves the wine sitting on all of the yeast material for a a really long time. Okay, Uh, It changes the texture. It changes the flavor. But I think that that also induces some allergic reactions in some people who maybe have a sensitivity to whatever's happening with the yeast because they can sit on that stuff for like 
a year and a half, right. two years, like a really good long time. And mm-hmm. it changes the chemical makeup of the wine. Mm-hmm. So I think for some people who have like real issues with champagne, a lot of it has to come from the yeast. Interesting. Mark, you mentioned the term corked. Can you can you uh, deconstruct that for the novice? Yeah, well, if a bottle does have a natural cork that yeah. closes it, yeah. there can be bacteria that grow on that wood, or on that cork. Sure. So if that big bacteria grows, you get that aroma that Kim was saying, like the wet dog or the wet cardboard. And musty, yucky. Musty. Yeah. So people say it's corked. It doesn't mean that there's pieces of cork in it or it has a cork in it. It's off mm-hmm. because of that bacteria. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, a lot of times we explain to people, like, what the heck are you talking about? <laughs> I was surprised to hear, you, to hear you endorse screw tops. We love yeah. screw tops. It, yeah, no, yeah. I, I heard Alternative that. Alternative closures. We are, we are all there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So this, the quality of the wine, I should say, would not be determined by, what do you call it? It's closure the closure so the closure is just what is on top of the bottle keeping the keeping the wine inside that bottle so you've dispelled the myth for me that a bottle of wine is cheap because it has a screw top that's not the case not the case and i actually had a winemaker you know say it well to me he said if the screw cap came up before the cork they would never have been cork <laughs> bingo so it makes <laughs> it makes sense yeah so the cork's just a little more romantic a little more sexy for some than are exactly. old school but yeah it's the romance right and the, that's why a lot of the french they will not you know if you're in a restaurant and you're with your wife and someone brings over a screw cap and they click it off there's no romance to that and there's the whole procedure of taking the capsule off removing the cork, presenting you the cork. Mm-hmm. There's romance to that. There's a story behind that. The screw cap. See, and this yeah. is one of those things where we like, you know, we find things to disagree about. I don't care about the romance of it. Like, honestly, I, I'm i more concerned about it does the wine in the bottle taste the way that the winemaker wants it to taste person, for you. I'm, right? I kind of am. And you know what? If you have a bottle with a screw cap at home and you drink half the bottle, you put that screw cap back on and you can like lay it in the fridge and it stays cold and it's not going to leak and it's perfect. Yeah. I mean, to me, it sounded, it's the, the conversation you had in the back and forth was kind of neat because, you know, if I'm going to a party, uh, some, so one of you made the point, if you go to a party and the bottle's corked, what do you do? Yeah, right, you're but out it, of luck. You know, I mean, you got it open. You're sitting there, and everybody's looking at you like, "Thanks a lot," right? But uh, if you got the screw top, you kind of know what you're getting, uh, and um, like you said, you can screw it back on and save it for another day. Yes. Right? And unfortunately, it still does have that reputation with some people that it must mean that it's a you know a cheap bottle, a right. l- less quality bottle. So we're here to we're here to make you know more and more people aware that just right. because it has a screw cap doesn't mean that the quality of the wine. What isn't about there. boxed wine? It's getting there. Getting there. Box, Mark, getting kind of, there. Mark, you kind of went sideways. No, I mean, it has. it's a trend. It was trending. Yeah. They, but now the box from 5 liter, 3 liter, the box has gone down to the 500 milliliter. So it's take the box with you to the beach, not take the box with you to a potty. Yeah. So Boxes have their own trending. issues, too. It's like everything has its pros and cons. Yeah. So the thing with the boxes, with the bigger ones um, that have been around for a while, technically that's called a bag in a box. So okay. you've got the cardboard box on the outside, and then you have a bag, a baggie on the inside that's plastic and there's like metal around there too so i mean it's great for after you open it because it doesn't let any air in but it doesn't last for a really long time Mm -hmm. before you open it so it's like the reverse of having a bottle with a cork in it so what do you think about it um you know (laughs) good question (laughs) um you know as a consumer i look at the box as almost like a bag 
It's like, do I want a, my wine in a brown paper bag next? I don't get it. I mean, I'm more of a traditionalist. I'd be concerned about buying a box of wine and bring it to a friend's house who knew about wine because maybe I'm missing the boat here. Maybe this is the schlitz of wine. You know, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, that's why we have you and we have Kim and we have Mark is because I can say to somebody with confidence after I visited with Mark in his retail location, I know what I'm talking about. And my friend's going to receive this wine and if he's a whiny, he's going to understand what's going on here with confidence. And that's why we have you guys. I want to remind everybody, you're listening to Chapters Radio. My name's Jim Derrick. We are speaking with Mark Lindsay, who's the owner of Frank- Franklin Liquors here in Franklin, and Kim Simone, the owner of Vinitas Wineworks. Importantly, they are the co-hosts of the Wonderful World of Wine podcast. It can be hear- heard here every Wednesday at 10 a.m. You can also subscribe to the Wonderful World of Wine at iTunes. I do want to ask you a couple more questions, if you don't mind. I am a bourbon lover. I've fallen into kind of the brown spirits along with everybody else, it seems like, in the world right now. Brown spirits seem to be flying off shelves, right, Mark? I'm wondering, is is it the same type of tasting? Maybe this is a dumb question, but um, I was at Jameson in um, Ireland, and I was... I, I. course raised my hand and was one of the volunteers to do the tasting uh and sacrificed yeah but it was cool it was like 10 o'clock in the morning you know my palate was really fresh and i picked up stuff that i've never picked up before and probably because of the environment and everything else but is it the same type of type of mechanics for tasting that go into wine it's a little bit harder when it's spirits is that right because of the alcohol level that was kind of where it's headed okay so wine is more nuanced because of the reduced alcohol content relative to a 80 proof bourbon. I don't know if it's the, it's nuanced. I think it's easier to get at the flavors because you're not fighting against sense. all of the alcohol. So sometimes, especially if you don't have much experience doing it, yeah. just getting past the burn is yeah. really hard. Yeah. The thing I love about the experience, and this is why I'm sort of using my bourbon tasting to think about the um, Franklin Wine Club, which folks should really check it out. You can go to meetup.com, subscribe to Franklin Wine Club, and find out about the meetings that take place right here with Mark and Kim. Great place to socialize. I've heard really, really great things about it. But one of the things that I was thinking is the the social experience of that bourbon tasting was kind of cool because I was there with a whole bunch of people from different parts of Europe and uh, the experience of the tasting itself led me into conversations with these people that carried on for the next hour of the tour and then out into the parking lot, exchange some phone numbers. It's like that with wine. It's really a, a, a great way to launch a, a social a relationship, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, and we see that with the wine club. People come and after one or two of the wines we're tasting, by the third one, they're all conversing with each other and they're making great friendships. They actually go see each other outside the club and, right. and they've had some good bonds, I think. Yeah, I agree. And this kind of comes back to my whole passion for wine and food together. You know, the the two really do go go together. It's all about conversation. It's all about conviviality. Um, I feel like people are what make those wine stories, you know, have the have those meanings. You know, it's it's about the people It's about who makes them. It's about who you're drinking it with. Right. It's like, you know, back to your your trip, you know, things always taste better on vacation. They do. And, you know, a lot of that is because of the place. But then a lot of that is also because of the company. Yeah. And the other thing is that you have wineries which have incredible histories, many of them, mm-hmm. right? That go back generations and generations, hundreds of years. And they've all got stories. Each wine has a story behind it. Each manufacturer, right? Yep. And even even wineries that only go back decades still also have stories. 
You were talking about the bourbon. Yeah. Did Jameson mention to you anything about partnerships with wineries? I didn't hear it. Because there's a trend where Jameson is owned by a big corporation. Yes. They also own a big winery called Jacobs Creek in Australia. Mm. What they do is they use their used Jameson barrels to put their wine in. So they, they, like you said, it was trending. Bourbon was trending. So the wine people said, wait a minute, this is trending. It's taking a little piece. Let's now put our wine in bourbon barrels and promote it as bourbon barrel age. So there was a big trend li- recently on that. And the big corporations are finding use for their used barrels. Instead of giving it to people for planters, they're pushing them onto another part of their corporation and making wine in them. Fascinating. Have you had that wine yourself? We have, and we yeah, actually we did a, helped we did a club event. What do you think? People were very receptive to it. I yeah. think we, there's different varietals that are done different ways. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of, and what we were trying to teach them is that you can say it's bourbon barrel aged. It doesn't have to be a certain length. Mm-hmm. It doesn't actually have to be in a barrel. It mm-hmm. could be chunks of the barrel. Mm-hmm. So there was all different variations. And one of the other good things about the club is we were the first people uh, in Massachusetts that tasted a tequila barrel-aged wine. Come on. So a lot of firsts because a lot of representatives and, and companies want to promote things to a group like we host. So that was one of our firsts. And, and you know, there's another benefit of being in the club, and, and then you get to have this experience with people around you. Remember when we tasted that tequila, you know, mm-hmm. age, and, and it's a it's kind of a marker in time. And we get you know? to try some fun things, too. Yeah. So, like, we did one in the, in the spring that was uh, Italian wines and pizza pairing. Yeah, I saw it. Which that. we had so much fun. <laughs> Got, <laughs> the my pizza <laughs> Got my attention. Got my attention. One of the other uh, other interesting topics that that you covered on your on your podcast was when they come out with labels uh what is that label with the uh, for moms it's not like mommy's timeout or something mommy's timeout thank you very much so that's going to fly off the shelf because of the labeling it's pretty smart marketing we talk a lot about labels and marketing and you know what is important on a label what's going to draw somebody in what's going to push them away what's the important stuff what's the necessary stuff that needs to be on a label not representing anything i'm not selling any particular brand might be a little harder for you, Mark. Yeah. No, I mean, it, it depends on the situation. If you say, Mark, I, I'm going to someone's house, I'm going to bring them Barefoot Merlot. Yeah. And I guess the first thing I say is, well, is that what they drink? Yeah. If you say no, I'd say I wouldn't bring that because for the same amount of money, hey, I can recommend something that they've probably never seen before, uh, that they can't go into the store. With, with the internet nowadays, I always say people will see how good your gift is when they Google it. You know, so if they Google barefoot and say you brought them a five dollar wine, <laughs> oh, uh, no, I'm do, dead. You, do you want that? So I, I mean, it depends on the situation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Context is very important. So I could, you know, you could come in and you could say, okay, I need a wine for such a situation to give to such and such a person. Yeah, I'm going to give you a different recommendation than if you had a different set of circumstances. So you know, a lot of it is going to depend on your personal situation. But these people, Jim, they drink the same thing all the yep. time yep. and they in that case you could say hey i know you drink barefoot but mark said try this right you know and if they totally hate it then you can yell at me but hopefully i have enough background to know the profile to recommend something yeah and i mean the fact that, i mean variety is the spice of life you know we were talking a little bit of, uh, before the show and i have a dear friend who who um, likes a particular type of wine, and, and it became clear after speaking to the experts that he's probably recommending wines that that carry through that that particular fondness that he has for Cabernet Sauvignon in a particular style. Um, but you know that's why the wine club is exciting to me because now I get to 
taste something like a tequila, uh, a wine that was aged in tequila uh, barrels or, or whatever it happens mm-hmm. to be. I get to expand my palate and right. find out what I like and then alternatively what I really don't like. Right. And right. that's, you know, that's what is really important to us as well, because when we have everybody in for the wine club, you're kind of our captive audience. Yeah. You know, and you have six wines in front of you that you might never have picked up a bottle of. Right. You know, you would you would never go into a store or order it off of a wine list and pick that bottle off a shelf and be like, I'm going to bring this one home and try it. Yeah. But you have an ounce of it in front of you. Mm-hmm. Take a sip. If you hate it, then you know. Yeah. But if you love it, you've discovered something new. Sure. So Yeah, we've also, a lot of people who were in our wine club also then wanted to learn more about wine. And that's mm-hmm. where we got into partnering with the school system. So currently we're doing Franklin Adult Ed. We're doing Tri-County Adult Ed. We're doing uh, Millis, Norfolk. Those classes are basics of you want to learn how to taste, you want to learn a certain region, you want to learn French wine, you want to learn Italian wine, so they can get a better overview more in depth in a classroom setting related to wine. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And uh, before we came on the air, we were talking about a family winery right here in Franklin. Um, can you tell me a little bit about that winery? I'm going to actually have them on a program down the road. But Yeah, Bob and his wife, Anna. La Cantina? We're both friends with them. That's mm-hmm. why, I mean, the world of wine, this is a great example yeah. that we've known Bob for a long time. And, and Kim was working with Bob at education, and I was working with him to do events for the club. Uh, so we got to know each other. It's just a passion for wine. Uh, we support everything he does, and we had him on our show for an episode Great. explaining the whole history. And it's, I just, that's the whole thing about the world of wine, and and even how Kim and I met was just through wine. Yeah, you know, and, and do you carry his wine in your shop? He sells it at his winery, okay. so I don't. I could stock it. He yeah. he does work with a lot of restaurants. Yep which is the, a great way to experience it. Right. But for me, it, it's worth it for you to just go to his sure. winery and get And he's located on Union Street, Street uh, by the, it's kind of in the Union Grill area, mm-hmm. right, of uh, this end of Franklin, and it's La Cantina? La Cantina. La Cantina. Yep. For the townies, it's in the old barbershop. Yeah, yeah, the old barbershop for the townies. <laughs> yeah. And I'm, I'm so far away from being a townie, it's not even funny. <laughs> so I want to thank again uh, Mark and Kim for being on the program today. Really, really great conversation. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed it. I want to remind people you can catch their radio program, The Wonderful World of Wine, right here on 102.9 WFPR every Wednesday at 10 a.m. You can also find their podcast and subscribe to it on iTunes at The Wonderful World of Wine, and they're on Facebook as well. So for my guests, Mark Lindsay and Kim Simone, my name's Jim Derrick saying thanks for listening to Chapters, and we'll see you next week.